Chapter Six of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Six. A man who had been at the front told me one day that whenever a big shell comes screaming toward the trenches and explodes, there is always a moment of suspended animation, as it were while the men wait to see whether they are dead or alive. I doubt if any bigger shell was ever exploded than that set off by Mademoiselle Roland, and I can still see that ring of astounded faces staring at her. By some curious freak of second sight, my own face is always in that circle. It was she who first regained some semblance of self-control. She stood a moment bracing herself against the tea-table, and swaying a little with the boat. Then she smiled, a hard, thin smile, and sank slowly back into her chair. A thousand pardons, she murmured, and passed her handkerchief across her eyes. I cannot think what came over me. A sudden fear, a longing for flight. I am like that sometimes. Pray forgive me. We all tried to pretend, of course, that nothing unusual had happened, that we were quite used to seeing girls leap to their feet at sight of a man and try to run away, but we didn't dare look each other in the eyes. I didn't know you had met Mr. Allen, said Creel. He had seen her face change as she looked up at Jimmy, but he hadn't caught the full effect of it, as Jimmy and I had. "'I have never met Mr. Allen,' said Mademoiselle Roland quickly. "'Please present him.' And Jimmy, who had been leaning against a chair with a face as pale as death, came forward and was presented. Mademoiselle Roland greeted him cordially, though I noticed that she didn't offer to shake hands, and there was a look at the bottom of her eyes as they met his, which made me shiver. I could see by the way she sat there, every nerve tense, how she was struggling for self-control. And there was a little metallic rasp in her voice as she spoke to him, which told of fear and abhorrence. The only guess I could make was that Jimmy reminded her irresistibly of someone whom she hated through and through, hated in a way which made any previous ideas of mine on the subject pale and feeble. Poor Jimmy saw all this too, of course, as clearly as I did, and he excused himself as soon as he could and crept away like a man who had been caught in the commission of some shameful crime. There was a moment's silence after he had gone. Then Molly, after twisting nervously about, excused herself on the plea of having her things to unpack, and I could see by the set of her shoulders and the way she held her head as she left the room how thoroughly and absolutely she disapproved of Mademoiselle Roland. She apparently forgot all about her unpacking by the time she reached the door, for instead of turning down the companionway she stepped out on deck, and a few minutes later I saw her pass the window with an officer on either side of her. Mademoiselle Roland saw her too, and smiled a little to herself, and then she happened to glance at me, and her smile broadened, while I felt my ears burning. But there was nothing malicious in her smile. On the contrary, it was distinctly friendly. "'I, too, should like to walk,' she said. "'Will you be my companion, Monsieur Billy?' "'Will I?' I said, and jumped to my feet. "'Revoir, madame, monsieur,' she said, with a little bow to Ma Creel and her husband, and in a moment we were out on deck. Quite naturally, Mademoiselle Roland took my arm. "'I warn you that I am not a great walker,' she said, "'so if you please we will stroll slowly, and after that we will sit and talk, and you will correct my pronunciation.' "'Correct it,' I said. "'I'm more apt to corrupt it. For heaven's sake, don't model your pronunciation on mine, Miss Roland. People will think you were born in Jersey City.' is not that a nice place to be born it is an awful handicap i explained one never really outgrows the accent i have not met many americans she said after a moment but i have found the men very very nice and the women she shrugged her shoulders 
The women are too stiff, too cold. They have not charm, or if they have, they are too indolent to employ it. As I looked down at her, it was evident that she certainly did not lack that quality. She was alluring, provocative, enveloped in feminine atmosphere. And yet I knew that there was not the least danger of my falling in love with her. I am sure she knew it, too. I am sure she hadn't the least desire that I should fall in love with her. I am sure she would have held me off and withdrawn herself if she had thought there was any danger. If I read her aright, all she wanted was that I should like her and think her charming, which I did, unreservedly. But of course Molly Adams, coming past with her two officers, wouldn't know all that, and I suppose the way we were walking did look rather confidential. Anyway, Molly stalked past with the faintest of nods, and I didn't care. The officers with her stared enough for a hundred. The cool way in which my companion disregarded them made my heart glad. Come, let us sit, she said. I wish to talk with you. So I got a steward to place a couple of deck chairs for us, where we could look out over the blue water toward the green and grey French coast. It was very beautiful. I had never seen such water and such sunlight. But there, I have to keep reminding myself all the time that this is not a travel book. Mademoiselle Roland sank back into her chair with a sigh of weariness. I shall be grateful for a rest, she said. I have been so hastened, finishing the work I had to do, and preparing for this voyage, that I feel positively... "'What is your word?' "'Frazzled is the Jersey City word,' I said, "'but you won't find it in the dictionary.' "'Frazzled. Yes, but that is an excellent word. "'It is just like that.' "'And she moved her hands rapidly around each other. "'It was doubtless that which caused me to behave so badly to Monsieur Allen. "'What was the matter?' I asked. "'Seriously, now?' "'Really, I do not know,' she answered slowly. "'But when I turned and saw him, I had a sensation— "'Oh, a sensation, the most horrible!' as of one walking over my grave. She broke off with a little shiver. Yes, I said, I could tell that by the way you looked. I thought perhaps he reminded you of someone whom you... whom you... No, and she shook her head. He reminded me of no one. It was like a gust out of the past, a chilling gust. You sent a shiver over me, I said. Did I? She laughed. I shall have to rehearse that. Look, Mr. Creel hopes that I shall be able to send shivers over my audience. "'If you look like that, you will,' I assured her. "'I can see that this is a very great opportunity,' she went on, more seriously. "'Mr. Creel's confidence in me is what you call—' "'Touching?' I suggested, as she hesitated. "'Touching, yes, and inspiring. I only hope I shall not disappoint him.' "'What is it he wants you to do?' I asked. "'I am to play a double part, a modern woman who revenges herself—' half unconsciously, on a man for something very terrible he did to her thousands of years ago, and that is to be shown, too, that ancient sin, but it is all in the poem. Have you not seen it? No, I said. Creel has kept it to himself. He was afraid somebody would steal the idea. He need not have been afraid of you, she protested, and fumbled in her little bag. He gave me a copy. Here it is. And she thrust a folded sheet of paper into my hand. And for the first time I read, or ever the nightly years were gone, with the old world to the grave. I was a king in Babylon, and you were a Christian slave. And as I read it, the idea behind it loomed larger and larger. I saw that it could be worked up into a ripping picture, and I knew that Creel was the man to do it. Yes, and for the first time I understood why Creel had jumped at Mademoiselle Roland. She was just the type, absolutely the type, far better, oh, infinitely better than Felice Tabor, who, for all her outre appearance, was inescapably flashy and modern. 
There was nothing modern about Mademoiselle Roland, except her clothes, and one somehow forgot them when one looked at her. I looked at her now, at her clear olive skin, and black almond-shaped eyes, and arched lips of vivid red, and short straight nose, and wealth of lustrous hair like a cloud about her face. But it's no use. I might go on enumerating forever, and I could never reproduce that effect of mystery, of unutterable things which her glance somehow imparted. Imagine Cleopatra alive again. "'You're just the one for it,' I said a little hoarsely. "'You will be tremendous. You'll lift them off their seats.' "'Truly?' she asked eagerly. "'You really think so?' "'You bet I do,' I said. "'I know it.' "'I hope you are right,' she said, weaving her fingers in and out. "'I shall work hard, hard. "'You see, in Paris I have made but a small impression, "'oh, a very small impression. "'My type is there not unusual, and I have had but little parts. "'Since the war I have had almost no parts at all. "'France has more serious work to do. "'I would have been a nurse, but there are so many women wishing to do that.' women who have lost their husbands or their lovers, or who were more in need than I. I do not conceal from you, my friend, that it was at a fortunate moment that jolly Monsieur Powers sought me out. I guessed something of the tragedy which lay back of those words, so simply spoken. Something grabbed me by the throat, and I was speechless for a moment. But I made up my mind to have a talk with Creel, and if she turned out the actress I was sure she would, to see that she got the salary she deserved. All this time Molly and her two officers had been walking around and around, but finally, to my surprise, she shook them off and sat down not very far away and got out some embroidery. Mademoiselle Roland saw me staring at this strange spectacle and looked too, and smiled as though she understood something which I was too dense to see. And then she got up and shook her skirts into place. I think I will go into my cabin, she said. It has been a most pleasant talk. I thank you. You have been kind. I have felt that I could be frank with you. Listen, I said, whenever you feel that you want to talk, or need any advice or help, or anything of that sort, I am not much account, you know, but such as I am, I am at your service, always. Creel will tell you I am a good listener, and a safe one. Thank you, she said, and held out her hand with a friendly little gesture. I have met one more American who is very, very nice. And with that she disappeared indoors. I sat down again, with quite a virtuous glow about my heart, here was a girl that I could be a brother to. No nonsense, just warm friendliness. And then, suddenly, I remembered Molly, and looked over to where she had been sitting. But she was no longer there. End of chapter 6